This episode of All In is sponsored by Deseret Books First Light Concert Event. If you're in the Salt Lake or Ogden area and you're looking for a way to celebrate the 200th anniversary of the First Vision, you don't want to miss this one-night-only musical event on March 14th. Enjoy the beautiful voices of Yahosh Bonner, Lexi Walker, Kenneth Cope, and other amazing musicians as they retell the story of the First Vision through song. For more information or to reserve tickets, visit DeseretBook.com slash First Light. Again, that's DeseretBook.com slash First Light. We often hear America described as a melting pot. Our guest on today's podcast is not from America, but as I listened to her share her experiences and unique background, I couldn't help but think about how we are all individually a melting pot, a combination of our heritage, our culture, our beliefs, and our experiences. These things all combine to make us who we are, and I think that's pretty beautiful. Lola Ogunbote was born in Nigeria but was raised in London, England. She has a law degree and was a practicing barrister before giving it all up to become a youth soccer coach for Arsenal within its community football department. She is now the head of soccer at Beijing Royal School coaching their U16 and U18 teams. This is All In, an LDS Living podcast where we ask the question, what does it really mean to be all in the gospel of Jesus Christ? I'm Morgan Jones, and I am so honored to have Lola Ogunbote. Did I say that right? You did. She's giving me the thumbs up. That's a good sign. Um, Welcome, Lola. Thank you so much, Morgan. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, I just think everybody's going to listen to this episode, and they're just going to be like, her accent is what (laughs) dreams are made of. (laughs) Maybe, maybe, (laughs) maybe. Yeah, I hope so. I love it so so. much. I love it so much. Thank you. So, Lola, you were born in Nigeria. Yes. But your parents came to London. How old were you when they came to London? So I was about 18 months, 18 months, two years old. So I was very, I was a baby, very, very young. Okay. Yeah. So you've been raised in London basically your whole life. Yes. East London. Shout out to all my East London crew. Um, but yeah, East London's predominantly where, where I grew up, went to school, um, and my parents still have a home there. So that's where the family house is. Okay. Yeah. And from what I understand, your parents came to London in hopes of giving their children a better life. What What does that mean to you in retrospect? Yeah, I think my parents, my father particularly was, he was around, I think, in his late 20s at the time newly married and I think actually left within a week or a couple of days after being married for Scotland um, uh, to do some education to kind of try and get a good job with the view of giving us the opportunities that perhaps he didn't necessarily have when he was young and our age and so I think as a kid growing up you don't necessarily understand the magnitude or the the sacrifice that that entails, being far away from home, far away from friends, coming to a foreign land and trying to, to make it. And so uh, as an adult, I, I look at that and I think, yeah, that's incredible that they had that kind of discipline and that kind of uh, vision. And so for me, it means that there's no room for failure. Somebody has already gone to great lengths to give me opportunities. And so I think it would be 
it would be disrespectful in a way to fail because so much has been sacrificed for opportunities that they didn't have. So it, it, it's a motivation, it's a pressure, but it's, it's, it's stand me in good stead. It's been a, it's been a good journey so far. And, and I, I attribute a lot of that to my parents and, and their sacrifices. Yeah. We're going to talk a little bit about the journey that you've taken in in terms of your career. I I noticed in some of the interviews and things that I watched that it seems like your your parents have driven a lot of choices that you made. And that makes a lot of sense because it's like they sacrifice so much to give you opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, when when you as a parent, I'm not a parent, but I can imagine as a parent, every parent wants the best for their child. And so as much as they're able to, they're going to try and put you just in the best kind of situation where you can develop and grow right. uh, and and become, you know, I think one of the things that my father always used to say is, you know, I, I just want you to have it better than what I did. I, I want to give you what I, I didn't have. And, and naturally, you know, you get, I, I have a lot. I feel like I've been blessed with a lot. And and when the time and should the time come, I want to do the same. I want to give my kids even more than what I had, if that's even possible. And so it's just, it's a mindset, it's a mentality. And it's something that I, you know, I, I'm, I'm eternally grateful for. I, I can't even put it into words, like how much what they have done has helped me be who I am today. Yeah. What do you understand about the way that your parents were raised in Nigeria? Nigeria is, uh, for those that don't know, it's located in, in the west of Africa. It's a, it's a vibrant, colorful, loud, sunshine, chaotic place. And, uh, they, they grew up, my, my parents, uh, my mother grew up in the southern part, uh, of Nigeria and my father grew up in the north. My paternal grandmother is a practicing Muslim and my paternal grandfather is Christian. So my dad was able to kind of have the best of both experiences growing up. Nigeria is a very pious and religious place. It's a place that you can have a conversation about God. I think there's probably, you know, more churches per square mile than there are Starbucks in New York, you know, Interesting. just everywhere. So it's it's a place of, of of people who understand what it means to know God. And I think in places where you sometimes don't have a lot, you often find that those are the places that are more receptive to religion, more open to uh, understanding that there's a higher power, that there's something bigger than them. And so Nigeria is 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 very much like that. It's very family orientated. Um, we love music. We love food. It's a great place. I love it. I, I try and visit as often as possible, at least you know once a year. And uh, I was just recently there in in last June. And it, yeah, it was it was a great trip. So yeah, it's a it's a phenomenal place, and that that kind of you know big personality, big big style, love and laughter is very much part of the culture, and was very much part of my childhood. My parents brought that into the way that I was raised as well. So yeah, I love listening to you talk about that, just because I think it's cool that even though you didn't grow up in Nigeria, it's clear that that's so much a part of who you are and you're proud of it. Yes. Yes. And I think, you know, it's weird because I, I was born in Nigeria. I came to London when I was very young, but my parents were very good about instilling strong Nigerian values. And so 
it was kind of weird growing up because I had in the home this this abundance of like Nigerian-ness, if I can call it that way. <laughs> and then I go to school and I'm with my my English friends, my British friends, and their upbringing is completely different to mine. And it was just this kind of combination of, of juggling both worlds and both cultures. And I'm equally proud to be from Britain too. And so it's it's great to have both these cultures that really make me who I am. I wouldn't be Lola without one or the other, actually. So it's uh, it's it's great that I, I'm in a situation where I can have the best of both, yeah. so to speak. Absolutely. I want to talk about another part, obviously, of who you are, which is a member of this church. When did your family come in contact with the gospel of Jesus Christ? So um, I think, as I as I mentioned, my father came over to to the United Kingdom to pursue studies, and then came to London and was working and uh, met the missionaries. Took the discussion and was baptized. My mother at the time was still in Nigeria. Uh, I think she, if I remember correctly, was able to attend the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints in Nigeria. They had a branch there at the time, and she was able to kind of you know get familiar with the church and. Uh, they joined. Older sister was was f- around four or five at the time. They were sealed in the London Temple, and then uh, I came along. So they had a very positive experience. I think it was probably I want to say early eighties, uh, mid eighties. So they have been in the church for for a while, and they tell you that it's probably been one of the best decisions that they've made so far. What does the gospel? mean to you and your family? Like what, how has it shaped who you have become? That's a great question. We're talking about cultures. We're talking about being from different places. I think in addition to being Nigerian, in addition to being British, I'm, I'm also a member of this church. And so there's like these three cultures that uh, I'm kind of balancing. And like many people, you know, I, I was born into the church. I, I grew up I, I spent most of my life or all of my life in church. It's not always been a smooth sailing journey. I've had to question and discover and find out for myself if this is something that I want to do. I think when your parents are are key and instrumental in, in your gospel journey, it, it's it's easy to kind of lean on them and not know for yourself. It's kind of, yeah, mom and dad go to church, we go to church is an expectation. But being in London and just the way that the culture is over there, you're you're stretched, you're pushed, you're exposed to different ideas, schools of thoughts. And so naturally you have to ask yourself, like, is this really for me? Is this what I want to do? And and it's interesting that, you know, this is a all in conversation, but that is literally my personality. I'm either all in <laughs> or all out, which can be a good thing and a bad thing, uh, depending on the context. But I've come to the decision that this is where I want to be. This is the lifestyle that I think best suits who I am. I've tried other lifestyles and they've been temporarily fun and rewarding, but not joyous. I think there's a difference between being happy and having joy. And I think that this church just brings me that that level, another level of joy. And uh, it's taken me a while to get there. But now that I'm here, I know that it's where I want to be. I'm here to stay. Obviously, you know, you never know what life 
can bring, but I'm, I'm, I'm quietly confident that this is, this is it for me. And so, yeah, that, that's what it means. It means that I'm committed, I'm in, and, uh, I'm just trying to be a good person. And I feel like this is a good vehicle to encourage me to do that. Yeah. I want to touch on something that you just said really quickly before we move on. And that is the difference between temporary happiness and joy. What do you think is the difference between those two things? I think, I think happiness is, uh, I think we've, we've heard it, we've heard it put before good, better, best. Yeah. And I think happy can be in the good, better phase, but joy is in the best phase. And I think it's joy is just another level of happiness, a deeper level, a more fulfilling level. Uh, I would probably add a more spiritual level as well to some degree. Uh, it's all encompassing. It's, it's bliss. And I think happiness can sometimes be temporary. It can be dependent on the circumstances it can change. Whereas I think joy is an inward, deep assurance that the things are the way they are and, 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 and it works from the inside out. Whereas happiness maybe arguably could be the reverse. I don't know, but I just feel like joy is just on another level. And uh, that's what I'm trying to achieve uh, is to get, just to be, just to be joyful, just to, to have that kind of uh, assurance that I'm in the right place and this is this is what brings me joy rather than a fleeting moment. This is what's going to be good for the rest of my life. Yeah. I think that is spot on. So cool. <laughs> um so Lola, where do you live now? Cuz I tried to like figure it out. I'm going to be honest, I was like, okay, at one point she was here yeah. then she was in China. Are you still in where are you at? Right. So I yeah, I actually live in China right now and I live in Beijing, which is the capital. I've lived, I've lived all over, but currently I'm, I'm working and living in China. Okay. Yeah. And how do you like that? China's wild. It's a crazy experience, but it's great. Like I had some, I don't know that I had much of an idea about what China was like other than what you, you see on the news, but I've been pleasantly surprised. It's the people are warm. They're friendly. They're open minded, accommodating. Of course, it uh, runs differently government-wise to a lot of other, other places, and that has its pros and cons. As an expat, I feel safe. Uh, I feel like I have a great lifestyle, a great network of friends in and outside of the church. You know, I, it's, you know there's a cheesecake factory in Beijing. What more do you need? Well, I mean, I, that, that's life. <laughs> like, you've got cheesecake factory you're done. So it's, it's great. I mean, I get to climb the great wall of China randomly. Like if I wanted to, it's, yeah. it's huge. China is a huge place and uh, so many different provinces and so many different cultures, but uh, I've, I've very much enjoyed my time there. I've been there for about two and a half years and uh, it's been, it's been a great experience so far. That's awesome. Yeah. So I'm curious, as someone who's lived in different parts of the world, traveled a lot, mm-hmm. what do you think, I, I I would like to be able to give listeners who maybe haven't traveled as much or lived in different places an idea of how being a member of the church internationally may be different than being a member of the church in the United States. 
Mm. I think I could, I'll speak about my most recent experience, which is China, um, because of the restrictions and the government's preferences, we are unable to meet with um, the Chinese nationals. And so the laws require us to meet separately. So expats meet separately. Right. And, and we, we, we are unable to, to proselyte. We are unable to share the gospel with uh, Chinese nationals, which is so opposite to our message and right. how we operate. So every Sunday we have a statement that's read out by whoever's conducting the meeting to remind us about the the agreement that we have with the government in order for us to establish good relationships. We agree that we will not active or passively proselyte to, to the Chinese nationals. And we sometimes have people come in and make sure that we're running things in the way that we have agreed. So that that's that's different, very different to anywhere else that I've worshipped before. Right. The other side is I think when you are abroad, I think the church works exceptionally well in the sense that you, your branch becomes your family. So we have branches in Beijing. Uh, we have three branches in Beijing. And uh, the people in that branch are absolutely my family. I depend on them for everything. Um, Sundays have taken on a new dimension for me. I think being in London, I took it for granted. It was like, yeah, that's Sunday. It's great. Next. But in a country that isn't a Christian country by nature, which is very different to places like the US, the UK, you feel that you need church and church needs you. And so we look out for one another. We're we're socializing together on Sundays we're together during the week. Um, we're a close-knit family. We we really, it's like, I really wish that church was like this everywhere. I think in the UK and the U- US, especially in a place like Utah, where, you know, you go to church with your neighbor, right? Like there's a church in every corner and you know everybody and you see them and maybe there could be an argument that you kind of take that for granted. And so... Sometimes you might not want to run into your neighbor in the week because, you know, you're going <laughs> to see them after work. You're going to see them at church. It's like, ah, there's just no respite. But the opposite is true in China because I know I'm not going to see them in the week because we're just so busy. And Sunday is just the day that we just are like, wow, I just, I'm, it's been a whole week and I haven't seen you. Like, this is crazy. I really love the fact that we're we're worshiping together. And so I think... My view is that the church operates a lot better when the members really have a need to rely on each other. And I don't think that's unique to China. I think that could happen in places in the US and the UK. But there is a there is a real strong sense of unity, family and uh, acceptance. And we all know that we cherish our Sundays more than I think. I think it's fair. I think people in in Beijing would agree we cherish our Sabbath day a lot more than we would if we were in our respective homes. So interesting. Lola, do you feel like we're getting better at being an international church? I feel like more steps are being taken to be more inclusive and more accommodating. Uh, Is there 
room to do more? Absolutely. Has it been worse in the past? Absolutely. So I think it's great to acknowledge the progress and the attempts that the church is making to be more inclusive, to recognize that this isn't, you know, a lot of times, you know, people would ask me, you know, what church do I go to? And, and I tell them like, oh, that's, that's that American church. And it's like, well, actually it's not American anymore. Like, you know, there's a lot of members outside of the United States of America that um, identify as, as being a part of this church. And so I think naturally those that are making decisions uh, are realizing that and thinking, hang on, what what can we do to make sure those members don't feel like they're being brushed aside or being neglected or uh, being swept under this whole, you know, American model. And so it's great that we have wards that are Spanish speaking, that are Mandarin speaking, that we've got the Genesis group. Um, that I love to, the Genesis to, group. Yeah, the Genesis group is awesome. And so, all, all, you know, all there are all these kind of attempts to make sure that people feel comfortable in who they are whilst they're still worshipping. And uh, for a lot of times it's, it's, it's hard, you know, you're, you're, you're being asked to, to embrace this culture, this church culture. And of course there's a, a massive difference between the doctrine and, and church culture, but it, there is a church culture. And when you're coming from someone like myself who has a Nigerian culture, a British culture, and then you've got a, a gospel culture or a church culture as well, it can be overwhelming. And so it's, it's great that the attempts are being made to make sure that we can still remain who we are without having to kind of throw that aside and that we are um, accommodating our differences and celebrating our differences because I don't think it has to be negative. I think difference is a beautiful thing. I would hate for everyone to be the same. It would be really boring. So it's great that we are doing more. I would like to see more being done but, you know, the church is a massive organization and we have to do things uh, in steps and gradually. And so I hope, you know, my grandkids are in a position where, you know, it's moved even further along the line. But, yeah, I think the church is doing what it can to make sure that, that that's, it's, it's be, becoming a bit more reflective of the makeup of our church. Yeah. I appreciate that perspective so much. I want to kind of transition into talking a little bit about you and your career. I think this is fascinating. <laughs> so you went to school to be a lawyer. Yeah. And from what I understand, someone told you, in quotes, people like you don't become lawyers, which I'd like to smack that person. <laughs> yeah. So I think I, I mentioned that in a uh, in a video that I'd, I'd done before, I remember being probably around 12 or 13, 14, around that time. We had a careers day at school. And in the UK, lawyers are called barristers. And I'd never come across this term before. And so I remember going up to the stand and, and asking this this teacher, what, like, what's this stand about? Like, what, what's this What's this word? What does it mean? And she's kind of like, oh, you know, don't, don't, like, don't worry about it. Like, people like you don't really get into this profession um like I was very uh athletic uh I I love to sing and so she was like you know like you've got a great voice you're really athletic why don't you see like what the track and football team have got going on and I just didn't think anything of it but went home and relayed the message to my father and he was kind of like what 
no. Yeah. You can be whatever you want to be. And my dad's always been like that. Whatever you put your mind to, whatever you want, you work hard and you can get it. And I think, you know, that was probably the only reason why I became a lawyer is because <laughs> somebody told me I couldn't, um, which is kind of a... Uh, not the best reason. <laughs> no, but do you know what's so funny? My dad is a lawyer mm-hmm. and he had a teacher in high school that made some comment to him that he couldn't. Wow. And then he like, that was like his motivation. There so there must be something. There's something, yeah. <laughs> There's something to that. There, yeah. So, so yeah. So I, I, I took that and I was like, well, okay, well, somebody's telling me that I can't, I'm going to show them that I can. And I did. I went to law school. I, I did undergrad did my postgrad and qualified and began lawyering, so to speak. So yeah, yeah, I did that for a while. And uh, I've always loved football though, football or soccer for our American friends. Um, (laughs) I think it's more fun to call it football. Really? (laughs) People be like, wait, she plays football. (laughs) Yeah. I, I, I've always loved it. I, neither of my parents play soccer or football. None of my siblings do. So I really don't know where this love or talent came from, but from a young age, I found that this was my calling and I wanted to pursue it. I think it's fair that, you know, my parents being being immigrants to the UK um, were more concerned about pushing me down the educational route. And so I, I didn't get to pursue that passion of football to the extent that I would have liked. And I decided that, yeah, you know, getting an education was important and I'd, and I'd go to law school. I did that. I lawyered. I enjoyed parts of it. I detested other parts of it. Um, and then I got to a stage where I was like, look, you know, life is short and um, I want to live a life where I'm happy. I want to do things that bring me joy, right, instead of a fleeting moment. And so I quit my job and uh, didn't have anything to go to. And then I saw an ad the same week recruiting for people that had never been coached on how to be coaches, which is very unique. So they were looking for people that had no coaching experience so they could coach them on coaching. It was with Arsenal Football Club. For those people who follow football, they're a very big Premier League group in England. And I is actually the team that I grew up supporting. So it was awesome. And yeah, I, 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 I trained with them for a year coached me on how to become a coach and then I went off and coached on their behalf in uh, Australia, Mozambique, Zimbabwe, South Africa and London. So uh, a magnificent experience just being able to travel and see the world and then working in an area that I love. Like they say that if you love what you do it never feels like work and I've been doing this for about three or four years and i don't feel like I work. So yeah, I really feel blessed that I've been able to kind of combine my love and talent and share that with others and earn because I, I didn't think I'd be able to make money that would allow me to be independent and self-sufficient from this. But it's it, it, it's happened and a way has been provided and I feel very blessed that, that I'm in a situation where I can I can be self-sufficient on doing something that I love. Yeah. Huge blessing. I want to come back to that. But first, I want to backtrack a little bit in regard to this comment that the person made to you. I just am curious, having lived in a lot of different places, have you experienced racism in the church? 
Have I experienced racism in the church? I think without going too deep, racism in itself is a, you know, we got to figure out where we're, what our definition of racism is first. I think, um, I think a lot of people are ignorant. I think a lot of people have prejudices. We all have prejudices. A lot of people can be discriminatory and some are racist. I think I've experienced all of the above during my uh, journey in this church. Some of it has just been ignorance and just not knowing and not being exposed to uh, other cultures and other people. And so people come out with like what I would call just dumb comments. (laughs) Other people generally have a problem with the color of my skin. And uh, that hasn't been... Luckily, it hasn't been a, a major factor, but I have been in church situations where people have expressed that they would rather I not be there because of what I look like, and that's that's hard. It's hard to it's hard to talk about. It's hard to to say because I don't I don't want to paint the church or or anyone in a bad light, but. That's that's the point I was making before. The, the doctrine, the culture, and the people—they're very, very independent of each other. And you know, you know, I think I heard it once that you know God has to work with imperfect people. It must be very frustrating, and uh, we have to be tolerant towards one another, and we have to show love. And sometimes we have to show love to people that don't love us. And uh, that's been a hard lesson to learn. But you know, I I've not let it destroy me completely there's been periods where it's been harder than others and it's 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 caused me to question whether I even want to be part of this but I think the overarching solution or idea or thoughts is that Jesus loves me God loves me he created me specifically in the way that I am and uh, I've come to learn to love that it's taken me a long time It's taken me a long time to embrace that. It's taken me a long time to be true to who I am and comfortable in my own skin. And I think um, as we we talk about this, I've I've got to contextualize it in the sense that, you know, outside of the church, just in society as general, in general, there are, there's problems with race. Whether you see it or not, whether you accept it or not, there is a problem. There's a problem and a struggle. We've seen it in the UK, we've seen it in the United States. And so for me as a black woman, I want to come to church and escape that. And so it 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 destroys me when I when the place that I'm seeking refuge, I'm getting the same treatment that I'm trying to escape outside. Right. Right? And so it's not necessarily the church, it's the people. And so that's where I then have to step back, analyze and say, wait, well, that's just an individual's perspective. Am I going to let that detract from my journey with Christ, my walk with Christ, my walk with God, the God that made me in his image? No. Uh, and I say it now in a place where I'm comfortable, but it, it, it has, it's been a, it's been a battle. And I know there's a lot of people that are still battling with it, that they don't feel like 
there's a place for them or they don't feel that they're fully accepted. And I think to them, I would say, I hear you. I understand. But uh, seek your acceptance from God first. Seek your acceptance from Jesus and then shelf the rest because we can't solve it all and I don't think it will get solved. Um, I think sometimes you just have to, unfortunately, compartmentalize and say, I don't know why people treat me this way. I don't know why people want to focus on why we're different rather than what makes us similar. But that's just got to be their problem. And you've got to not deny yourself the opportunity to walk with Christ because of small-minded and ignorant people and racist people. Yeah. I have to tell you, as I'm listening to you talk about this, I'm like, looking at you and I'm like, okay, she's articulate. She's beautiful. <laughs> um, I, I just think like, of course, and I'm like, there's like tears coming out of my eyes, but I'm like, of course there's a place for you in the church. Like there's a place for everyone in the church, but I'm like, of course, like somebody that is as lovely as you are, there is a place. And, and so it's frustrating to me to hear that. Um, but I also love that you touched on the idea that these are all individuals. And I think that if we could internalize as a people that each of us are individuals that have a role to play in making people feel accepted and feel loved and that there is a place for them, if we just can recognize that, like, despite the fact that we are just one person, one person makes a big difference in that regard. Yeah, I think everybody... Black, white, brown, yellow, whatever. Everybody has a role to play. Everybody has been uniquely created to contribute. I, I don't think, uh, and I don't, I don't purport to know the mind of God, but I, I don't imagine that God wanted everyone just to be the same. No, yeah. I, I, I think that in His wisdom and love, He gave us things that make us unique. He loves us. He loves us equally. He loves. He loves you. He loves me. He loves all of his children, because he loves us. There's a place for us. There has to be. I, I just. I just don't believe that. That God is a being exclusive. He's a God of inclusive inclusivity. He Absolutely. wants us to be together. And I wish more people would step back, and and ask themselves, okay, what am I doing? to include my neighbor. And I'm not just saying that just in, in the event that your neighbor is black or a different color, but, but just your neighbor, like, what are you doing to include them? What, what have you done to step outside of your comfort zone to make sure that they're comfortable? What are you doing to get, to get to know them better? What are you doing to, to make a genuine connection with them? And uh, especially, particularly when we talk about race, I think, some people find it, it's an uncomfortable conversation. People don't know what to say, you know, but like, I don't want to offend. And we're now in a, in a, in a society where, you know, you say the wrong thing and it's over. Like you're losing your job or you're, a lawsuit's going to be filed against you. So people just, just avoid it altogether because they don't want to put their foot wrong. Right. But I think that, that that also can be dangerous. We need to be loving and, and, and be able to, to say, hey, you know, I, I don't know anything about Nigeria but I know you're Nigerian. Tell me about it. What, like, what's your country like? Like, 
what's it like? I've, I've never been. And, yeah. and people, people are open to, to, to talking about things that are close to them. You know, your hair is different. Tell me about your hair. Like, how do you get it done? Like, what, what's the process? Don't touch it though. That's, 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 that's key. <laughs> that, that's r- rule key. of thumb number one. Number one. Don't be putting look, your hands. Look, but don't touch. Yeah, look, but don't touch. But, you know, it's, it's, it's curiosity because you're, you're different. And so, you know, be open to, to asking. And I, and I also think in the same way that I'm giving that caution is to people that are being asked to not be quick to be offended. Um, and I used to be that way. I used to be like, oh, you know, this person's asking questions because I'm different and, blah, and just be, being angry, but actually just being like, you know what? Yeah, it's cool. I'm not going to take offense because you're asking. I'm going to open up this dialogue and we can have a conversation about it. So, yeah. yeah. Thank you so much for sharing all of that. I think that's so helpful. And I love on this podcast, I feel like we have a chance to have conversations because it's this is easy. This is like an easy space to do that in. Yeah. But outside of this room, it's yeah. a little bit harder. Oh. And so thank you for like encouraging that. No worries. No worries. So you touched on the fact that you started in this program at Arsenal mm-hmm. for coaches, people that wanted to coach that never had coaching experience. Yeah. Fast forward and you've received awards and recognition for coaching. How does the gospel influence the way that you coach and what makes a good coach? Yeah, interesting. Uh, I think the gospel of Jesus Christ encourages me to be a good person, to to love my fellow brothers and sisters. And so I feel like I'm quite a easygoing, friendly person. I think I bring that into my coaching. I want anyone that comes into contact with me and my session to leave feeling like, oh, yeah, that was a fun session. That was good. Like, I, I would like to do that again. And so I... I use tools from church, like just almost like the young women's program. I I'm often think about the young women's program and I had mixed reviews about it, but essentially I knew that my leaders loved me and they cared about me and I care about my players and I love them and I want them to know that. I don't care if you miss a shot or, you know, you miss a penalty. Like I want you to feel better for playing and leave feeling like, yeah, this is, I, I'm glad I used my agency and chose to be in Lola's session. I feel better for it. Yeah. And so, yeah, like that's kind of, I guess, a little bit of how churches influenced me. I, um, I, I try to be honest in my dealings with people. And that means telling them if they're not quite where they need to be and delivering that in a constructive way. But yeah, I think the gospel just, the gospel is just about love, like just loving people and meeting them where they're at, not trying to change them, just accepting them that, okay, you're at this level and I'm going to love you and see where the journey take, goes. And as far as what, what makes a good coach, in my view, I think one of the keys is, is, is knowing your players, developing an interest in what they're interested in. So I try to make sure you know, it's not just about football. Some of my kids uh, in China have a lot of interests outside of football. So I make sure I, I'm interested in that. Like a lot of them like K-pop music. A lot of them are into other sports. They'll play basketball as well. Some of them, I try to get to know them in terms of what their family life is like. 
so I can ask after their parents or, you know, they went on a trip. I just try to remember details so that they feel like it's not just a one cage fits all, but that I genuinely am taking an interest in their lives. I think that then makes it easier for you to then get them to do what you want them to do on the pitch. When you've got their trust, you can then deliver sessions. Uh, a good coach plans. He or she plans, prepares and delivers under pressure. And so uh, there are a lot of things that go into becoming a good coach and, and also being a mentor because you're in a position where these kids are looking up to you and are seeking guidance from you. So you need to be a good role model. I think a coach needs to be a good role model and set good standards so that your players know what's expected of them. And so my players know when it's, you know, there's t- there's a time to be silly, there's a time to laugh, there's a time to muck about. And there's a time we have to work and we're going hard and we're, you know, I'm not taking no nonsense. Like you need to get this perfected. So there's a, there's a good balance and a good relationship. So I hope that they enjoy it as much as I do. Yeah. I, one of my very best friends is a basketball coach. Um, and she, a couple years ago, we were talking about coaching and she was telling me that her like strategy for coaching that season had changed. And she was like, I decided that instead of being so focused on basketball, I decided that my goal was for each of them to walk away from the season knowing that they were loved. Yeah. And that season they won the state championship. And I was like, it's so cool to see what happens when you shift that focus. Lola, as we've talked about your unique journey, so Barrister gives it up to become a youth soccer coach, yeah. which is so cool. What have you learned about unique paths in life and how God has a plan and loves each one of us? I think, you know, just as we were touching on before, every you know, everyone's different and, and God has, in his wisdom, created us uniquely. I think... I spent a lot of time worrying about whether the choices I was making was what God wanted for my life. And uh, like, am I where he anticipates me to be right now? Like, is this, is this journey like what he had in mind when he created me? And I, 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 I always used to feel like I was falling short and maybe not measuring up to the standard that, that, that God had and, and the standard I have for myself. And I've come to realize that, you know, God just wants his children to be happy. Like you've got to be, you know, making decisions and you've got to be living by the principles and the guidelines that he has set out. But essentially, like every parent, you just want the best for your child. And so I think our paths are, are different because we're different, but I think they're the same in that the goal is to, to enjoy the journey, right? The journey of life, like to do the best we can to be the best version or become the best version of ourselves that we can and make choices. And they're going to be good, bad, ugly, but those choices are going to refine us and make us who we are. And so, yeah, our journeys are unique, but at the same time, they're very much similar because we're all just trying to kind of get back to where we started. And how we do that comes in different nuances and different ways. But essentially, uh, I don't think God wants us to be unhappy yeah. on that journey. I think he wants the very best for us. 
and we have uh, the gift of agency to choose what that best looks like. So uh, I advise people that are kind of floating and, and worrying about where they are just to kind of take time to be in the moment and enjoy what they're doing right now. And if you don't enjoy it, to have the courage, if your circumstances allow you, to change it. Because I know a lot of people are in unhappy situations and uh, circumstances are different. That mean you can't always quit your job and become a soccer coach, but you are able to make changes in your life that can make it better for you. So consider what those changes are, consider how they need to be made and make them and, yeah. and you'll be better off for it. Thank you. Well, Lola, I could listen to you talk all day long. And it's not just because of your accent. I'm like, she is so smart. Like, hashtag goals. Thank you. Um, but before we wrap up, what does it mean to you to be all in the gospel of Jesus Christ? You know, I think as we've been we've been talking today, to be all in is is like this. I often speak to people who uh, have had... Uh, unfulfilled promises who are detached or maybe distant from the church for various reasons. I think of examples like maybe, you know, not being married or, or not having kids or having kids that aren't the way that you anticipated or being lonely or having depression or anxiety or, or whatever that looks like. And I'm not for one second suggesting that that's an easy thing to deal with but when we committed we committed irrespective of our circumstances we committed to be in this irrespective of whether you will be married or have a baby or be of sound mind I think we made a commitment to just do this and for me personally and I'm not suggesting it's the same for everybody when I'm when I'm when I say I'm all in, I'm all in despite my membership of the church is not conditional on what I'm gonna receive. My membership in the church is just that I'm I'm in. And 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 whether I get things or not, I'm indifferent. I've made a commitment to God that this is the path I'm gonna follow and I'm 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 in it. And I, I'm going to do that irrespective of what happens in my life. And I, I, I hope that that is something that continues. But, but at this, this present day, um, that's what it means for me to be all in, is that I'm, I'm following this path irrespective of where I end up, irrespective of how I feel, irrespective of the challenges that come, and they will come. But I've, I've pledged that this is the path that I'm going to stay on and I'm going to do everything within my power to stay on it and surround myself with, with people who can help me on my journey, people that will listen to me when I'm upset, angry, disappointed, on cloud nine, ecstatic, <laughs> you know, just surround myself with those people that are going to keep me in good shape. And I think uh, if if that can be the focus, then I think I'll be okay. But Thank yeah, you. that's that's it. That's what it means for me. Perfect. Thank you so much, Lola. You're very welcome. It was a pleasure to be here. Thank you, Morgan. Following our podcast recording, I got a message from Lola asking if she could add something to her all-in answer. I absolutely love what she had to say, and I think you will too. 
I also think when we talk about being all in, um, I was discussing something on a separate topic with a friend, but the line that really uh, hit me in our conversation was, um, I choose you. I think that's the same when we say we're all in, we say to God that I choose you. I choose you when things are going well. I choose you when things are hard. I choose you when I'm confused. I choose you when I'm hurt. I choose you when I'm disappointed. I choose you when I'm celebrating. I choose you when I'm blessed or I feel blessed. I choose you when I feel joy. I choose you when life is is going my way. Um, and it's a beautiful affirmation. It's a beautiful strength. It's a beautiful way to use our agency um, to say to God, you know, I'm in this with you, irrespective of what happens. And uh, that's a mindset that I've been trying to adopt and it's not been easy, but I really feel that when we say we're all in, we say to God that that we choose him uh, and we choose him because obviously he chose us first. A huge thank you to Lola Ogunbote for taking time out of her American vacation to join us on this week's episode of All In. We are so grateful to Derek Campbell of Mix at Six Studios for his work on this episode and to you for listening. We love you and hope you have a wonderful week.